Turning in your Bibles one more time to the book of Habakkuk. As we conclude a, a seven-week series, it's been, this is week number seven that we've been in the book of Habakkuk, and what a journey it has been. What a uh, marvelous book of the Bible, and so many timely truths, um, even the things that we're dealing with today in our own life, in our own country, in our own families, in our own church. And it has spoke to many of those. And thank you for... Uh, taking this journey with us. This may, you may be a guest this morning and you may be uh, the first time uh, today hearing the book of Habakkuk. But it has taught us so many things about how God is not, in, not only in control of history, but how God is also in control of our life even today. The Bible says in Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, the Scripture says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high heels. And the very last part of that says, To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Let's pray. Father, I ask today, God, You would speak to us through Your Word. God, teach us more about what Your Word says to us today. Lord, we believe every word in this Bible is inspired by You. It is without error. Lord, it is applicable for our life situation even today. Speak uh, today because we want to listen. And we will listen. More than just listening, God, may we be obedient to what Your Spirit says to us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In this particular passage, the circumstances for the prophet, they haven't changed. He is still facing the imminent threat of the Babylonians to come and to discipline and to conquer the nation of Israel. That has not changed. And what he concludes is, in my title of the Bible, it says a hymn of faith. He concludes letting us know where God has taken him through this journey. Not from the first message in the first chapter where he's asking God and he's really complaining, wanting some answers about what's going on. And after hearing God, after seeing the visions of what's going to take place, after reading the history of what God has already done through the nation of Israel, he ends on a high note. He ends on this climax about having a joy that overcomes fear. We talked about that last week, and I just simply part two this week, a joy that overcomes fear. There is no situation, listen to this, this there is no situation in your life that is so chaotic that God cannot, from that situation, create something surpassingly good. He did that at creation. He did that on the cross. And He can do that even today in your life. See, the fact of the matter is this. You do not know of the power of God. You will never truly know the power of God until you need the power of God. We know that. We believe He is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. But it boils down to this. You will never really know the power of God until you need the power of God. And what Habakkuk was doing, what God was using Habakkuk for, 
was to not just, just discipline the nation of Israel. They needed to. They were sinful. But he wanted to show the power of God. He wanted to show that to his people. He wanted to show that through Habakkuk. That's why discipline is not always bad. Sin has consequences. And when God pours those consequences on us as individuals or on a nation, like in the nation of Israel, it is to show how powerful God is so that we run back to the feet of Jesus and, and, and confirm, although everything passes away, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. Let me give you a couple of things this morning about this passage. The first one is, and I want you to read this in verse 17. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The first one is this, is the expectation of joy. We learned last week that joy is eternal. Joy trumps anything that is temporal. And all of these things that are mentioned in verse 17 are temporal economic situations that Habakkuk faced, that the nation of Israel was going to face, and that you and I even face today. And in the midst of all of that, there's an expectation of having the joy of the Lord. In this passage, verse 17, there are six conditional clauses. Each of them begin with the word, though. They, they seem to be possibilities that are going to take place. And Habakkuk knows that. He knows that the, if the Babylonians come, this is what's going to happen. And he sees that. He's looking out into the future and he believes this is what is going to take place. This is, these these uh, uh, clauses seem to be ascending in severity. The first one, not as much, but then all the way down to the last one, number five and number six, seem to be the most uh, severe. The first one there, he says, though the fig tree may not blossom. Figs were a delicacy in Israel, but their loss did not produce severe hardship. The next one, there'd be no fruit on the vines. The fruit of the vine was the grapes. That was their daily drink. But their loss would only produce an inconvenience. The third one is, the Bible says in the fields, or excuse me, though the labor of the olive may fail, the olive crop produced oil uh, for cooking. If that was completely taken away, it would be an inconvenience as well. Maybe even a little bit more, but not, not definitely not life-threatening. And it gets even worse, though the fields yield no food. This is the grain, the barley, and the wheat provided the staple diet in Israel. The failure of the fields to produce food might mean starvation for large segments of the population. The last two, number five and number six, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. This is the sheep and the cattle made much of the wealth of Israel. Sheep and goats provided wool and occasional meat. The cattle were used for preparing the soil, for planting other heavy work. The loss of any of these individually might be survived, but you put them all together, the losses spelled economic disaster and devastating loss of hope, loss of their daily provisions, loss of their economic strength, loss of the Lord's blessing due to their sin. Let no nation, no nation, 
face the worst economic disaster, yet still not rejoice in the God of their salvation. What Habakkuk is writing and what he's seeing from God is that even though everything temporal may fail, our food, our clothing, our home, our health, our family, that all of that be taken away, yet there's still an expectation of joy. This is hard to read. Oh, this is great to sing. We're going to see that in just a second. But as we think about this, this is, this is talking about everything being taken away. Last night I was flipping through the, the stations and I couldn't find a fishing show, so I turned on the weather channel. <laughs> That's all that comes on on Saturday, it seems like, is, is fishing shows. And they're good. Uh, if you can't catch them, it's good to watch other people catch them. So. I was watching the Weather Channel and they did a documentary on the tornadoes that went through Tuscaloosa, Alabama a couple years ago. I remember that day like it was yesterday. There was a tornado that also went through Smithville, Mississippi during that same time. When we were in Fulton about 10 years ago, uh, my wife taught at Smithville. So we knew all about the school there and the small town and how uh, an EF5 tornado just went through and totally wiped out that little small town. But Tuscaloosa, uh, a college town. And as I was watching, they were giving um, some, of, some of the people, some of the storm chasers, but also the, the news uh, anchors and the news, uh, the media were given minute by minute, showing it on their cell phone and their video cameras, watching this massive tornado. And the response is something like this. That's a community. There's definitely going to be loss of life. It's coming close to a hospital. It's coming close to a major university. And all of us have stories. We've heard about how people have either lost their life or lost their belongings. Some of you maybe have even been in that same situation, whether it be through house fire or through natural disaster or something of that nature, where everything is taken away from you. Can you still rejoice in the Lord? And the answer is yes. Because if you have an expectation of joy, it's beyond anything that is temporal in your life. And although God may take it all away, Nobody can take away the joy of the Lord that comes through salvation. What's the greatest thing in your life? Is it economic pleasure? Or is it your salvation? People die every day with riches, with money, and they leave it all behind. But when each of us stand in front of Jesus... None of that stuff's going to matter. God blesses here today to be a blessing, but the most important thing in your life is your salvation. And if you're not saved this morning, why wait? Because that's the greatest need in your life is to give your life to the Lord Jesus. And the writer says here, oh, all these things may happen. He says, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. I am going to rejoice in the joy of the God of my salvation. You can go back to verse 17, and, and this is what ifs. The, the writer uses the word though. You can use the word suppose. Well, Brother John, suppose this happened. And we prepare our life as if all these things might happen. You realize that 80% of the things you worry about never take place. And, and we prepare our life with all these what ifs. Or suppose. And when we do that, you'd actually, you'd actually what you're doing is taking out the word faith. Because the word faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So it's not a life of what if or a life of supposing. One person has said this. He tells a story he had with a church member about supposing. 
He said, don't have anything to do with supposing. I know them all. Suppose I should lose all my money. Suppose I should lose my health and all the rest. He says, when those supposings come knocking at your heart, you just slam the door, bolt it, and don't let any of it in. That's a good piece of advice from a worldly point of view. Just don't worry about it. Never suppose, never what if. But it is a worldly point of view because what Habakkuk does is this. He says, here's Habakkuk's process. When the supposings or the what ifs came knocking at his door, Habakkuk did not slam the door and bolt it. He opened the door and he cried, come on in. Because our salvation is greater than our supposings. So the supposings and the what-ifs and the worry, all of that can come and have any place in our life, but there's something greater, and it's the expectation of joy. The joy is greater. His faith was in something greater than him or his problems. In fact, the word rejoice here, (coughs) excuse me, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. The word rejoice represents strong emotion. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. I want to show you where this word is also mentioned again in a different context. Chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. This is where Habakkuk is asking God his second question. Verse 14 says, Why do you make men like fish of the sea, like creeping things that have no ruler over them? They take up all of them with the hook. They catch them in their net and gather them in their dragnet. Therefore, they rejoice and are glad. Habakkuk is using that word in a strong emotion, not understanding what's taking place. He uses the same word in verse 18, understanding exactly what has taken place. I'm going to rejoice. A strong emotion. Emotion. His choice of them here, this word, represents a repentant and a triumphant faith. Together they express His resolve, not merely to rest in the Lord's will through everything that would come to pass, but to rejoice fully in His saving God. As a believer, every day you have a reason to wake up and to be joyful. That's because Jesus Christ saved your life. Although everything else may fail, You can put a smile on your face and look at somebody who is lost and say, yeah, all these things may be in my life, but I know one thing, Jesus Christ saved me from my sins. And although although everything may be taken away, although God may take my life, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. And that's the greatest need I ever have. That's why I have an expectation of joy. I was reading this week about a, 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 a pretty neat illustration. Some missionaries in the northern part of Alaska where the Eskimos live, they were trying to get the Bible translated and they had some difficulty doing that. When you go to translate the Bible in another culture, there's difficulty in translating some words because cultures and languages don't always have the same words. Illustration as white as snow in one context may be as white as cotton wool. In this Eskimo language, there was no word for joy. So the translators struggled and struggled and got nowhere fast. Then they noticed that the happiest and most joyful moments in those Eskimo village were in the evening when they fed their sled dogs. 
They'd go out and the dogs would yelp and, and wag their tails and get all excited. And so, out of that experience, they found their word for joy, wagging their tails. So when you translate a verse out of Philippians chapter 4, Eskimo style, it says this, wag your tail. And again, I say, wag your tail. <laughs> Sometimes you just need to rejoice knowing that God has it all under His control. That's the expectation of joy. But the Scripture goes on in verse 19. He says, The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and He will make me walk on my high heels. Not only the expectation of joy, but I want to show you the experience of joy. Habakkuk did not trust in the power of nature or in his own ability to make money. Habakkuk trusted in the Lord, who is the Lord of all, who is the Lord of nature. He says in verse 19, the Lord God is my strength. How interesting, I want you to see those two names for God there. Not just one name, not just God, or not just Lord, but he puts these two together, Lord God. In Hebrew, it is the word Yahweh Adonai. In fact, this is the only time outside of the book of Psalms that you see these two names of God together. In fact, when you put these two names for God together, they are the strongest names for God in the Hebrew language, Yahweh, Adonai. And for Habakkuk, it was not just Yahweh, which is the personal name for God, or the name that, that Jews elevated. And, and, and for, in fact, for a Jew person, they would not even, in that culture, in that, in that lifestyle, would not even say the name. And if they were to write the name Yahweh, they would put a brand new pen, write the name, and then get their other pen and finish writing the Scripture. It was so sacred to them. It was a name that was very uh, much a part of their covenant. It was a name that represented the power and the majesty of God. And when Habakkuk is writing through the power of the Holy Spirit, he said, it's the Lord God, the strongest name for God. He's my strength. My strength is not in economic pleasure. My strength is not in the cattle in the stall. My strength is not in the olives or the grapes. My strength is not in our family. Our strength is not in our church. Our strength is in God and Him alone. That is the experience of joy. He says, the Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet. Very interesting. A deer in Old Testament days and even today was noted for its sure-footedness in high places. Meaning sure-footed, untiring, bounding with energy, the Lord's people may expect to ascend the heights of victory despite their many severe setbacks. God's protection in every experience of life. What Habakkuk says, the Babylonians are coming. You remember the description of the Babylonians and how mighty they're going to be and how, 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 how big their army and their cavalry, cavalry is. He says, Habakkuk, as he closes the last verse of this great minor prophet, the Lord God is my strength. He's going to make me like deer's feet. He's going to make me sure-footed and stable and He will protect me no matter what comes in my life. Some of you need that this morning. To know that no matter what happens in your life, that God gives you the feet like deer's feet. That is sure-footed even in the midst of economic, family, health-related, no matter what. God is your 
strength. Habakkuk experienced the joy and the peace of serving the sovereign Lord of creation. That is the experience of joy. But I want to close with this last phrase. It's really two prepositional phrases in my translation. And it sometimes can just, you can skip it. To the chief musician with my stringed instruments. Why in the world? A book that is so powerful and so timely conclude with something about a director of music. I don't know, Brother Andy. I, I, it sounds good to you. I don't know. With my stringed instruments. This is mentioned over 55 times in the book of Psalms. In fact, you won't find this phrase in any other book of the Bible except Psalms. Many of the Psalms were put to music and they were sung. We sing a lot of those even today. A lot of the hymns that we, that we sing or even praise courses come out of the book of Psalms. So you see this phrase. This is not unfamiliar with Scripture. It's just unfamiliar in any other book except the book of Psalms. And what the writer is concluding this, the psalm, this psalm was to be celebrated in the congregation throughout the generations. It's not just a personal resolution of faith achieved by the prophet for him alone. The Holy Spirit, as he's inspiring Habakkuk to write this, he says, I want you to put this down to be sung in the years ahead. As a song of joy and a song of inspiration, just like you would sing some other the psalms in the book of the Bible, uh, the, the other psalms in, in the book of Psalms, to sing this verses 17 through 19 and, and put it to music and to sing. And although, although all this may happen, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. He will make my feet like deer's feet. He will make me walk up in the high hills. Those, those moments of victory, he says, put that to a song and make it to where the church and those that are gathered around by the name of Jesus can sing praises and honor to God. So number three, this is the exaltation of joy. The exaltation of joy. That's why I believe you can come into the Lord's house if it's a place like this or another place of worship. You can come into the Lord's house and although everything may be, may be miserable in your life, you have unanswered questions, there is economic health, all those issues that are going on in your life, you can come into the Lord's house and offer praise and honor to God because if you're a believer, He has saved you from sin. He has saved you from a lifetime in hell. He has saved you from all of the, 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 the wrath of God that will be poured out one day on all those who do not know Jesus as their Savior, you can come in and say, Lord, I rejoice in the God of my salvation. It's the exaltation of joy. May Habakkuk's test of faith and his triumphant joy in his saving Lord, may it be an inspiration and an example to all who must travel life's road ahead. The issue of the book of Habakkuk is not to get rid of problems in life. That is impossible. The issue is, is that when problems of life come, know that God is in control of history. God is in control of your life. And you rejoice in the God of your salvation. He is your strength. Him and Him alone. And He will carry you all the way to the gates of heaven if you will just let Him. So do you know the Lord as your Savior? Many of you today, you know Jesus. 
You remember the time when you gave your life to Christ. Before I came in here today, I was looking at different Bible translations. I was looking for the last part of verse 19 just to see what different parts of the Bible would say. And I took my little brown King James Bible that I got when I was 10 years old. And as I was looking through that Bible, I looked on that front cover and it had the date of when I gave my life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And some other notes that were in there, people that were born and people that had passed away and people that I had forgotten about, but bringing up memories through my early childhood. Do you remember the time when you gave your life to Jesus? you remember the time when you repented of your sins and you trusted in Him and He forgave you and you began to walk with Jesus? Do you remember that time? If you know the Lord as your Savior, He's your strength. And no matter what happens in your life, I want you to cling to Him. Stay close to Him. There will be issues in your life that there are no answers to those questions. But the most important question in your life, never forget, has already been answered. And that's where you're going to spend eternity. You may be here and you don't know the Lord as your Savior. You don't understand salvation. Not sure about eternal life. Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago died on the cross. He died for you and He died for me. He died for the entire world. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. There's only one way to interpret that. God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son, gave His life, and only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus Christ wants to save you. He wants to be your strength. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be those that person to you that you can cling to through every moment of your life until you see Him in heaven. But He's perfect and you are not. That's why He died for you. He paid the price for your sin. He wants to forgive you. He wants to be a part of your life. But you have to accept Him. You have to be willing to open up the door of your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I know today that I need You. I'm a sinner. And I believe You died on the cross for me. And I invite You to come into my heart and to save me today. Friend, if you've never made that decision, I challenge you and I encourage you to do that today. Nobody loves you more than Jesus. And I challenge you to give your life to Christ today. Let's pray. Father, I pray today as we have a time of invitation. God, it's in a time where believers... can just spend a few minutes with You. God, there are some here today that are facing uh, circumstances that are beyond any of our control. God, but they're in Your control. May we be reminded this morning that You, the Lord God, He is our strength. And God, although everything may be taken away, I will rejoice and the God of my salvation. Thank you, God, for reminding that to us today. And may we never forget it. Lord, for those who are not believers, Lord, they're not, they've never had that personal relationship with you. Lord, I pray you would encourage them in just a moment as we sing, if they would, just to step out and to come down, Lord, and meet me down here in this front. And by them coming, they're publicly professing, Lord, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I need Him to be my strength, my Savior, and my Lord today. Lord, I ask that that they would come. Lord, there may be believers that are here today and they want to be a part of this church and to move their membership to First Baptist Church, a place where they can serve, a place where they can be a part of to grow in their faith. 
God, would you encourage those to come as well? We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen.